Mel, was it Mel Torme? No. Yeah. Well, he was, yeah. no, he was the first one to perform it, but I don't think he Before wrote it. it. Oh. Did he write? It, it, either he wrote it, but uh, he was the first one to perform it. Oh, interesting. Best version, what? if you're, if you completely random point, but the best version of that is Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole did a duet, which is great. Oh, uh, yeah. Anything that they touched was, was beautiful. And if you're just tuning in right now, we're talking about Christmas songs because this episode is about one of the, I don't know, best Christmas-themed events in the city. There's a lot, but this one's fantastic. It's existed for a while. And if you haven't clued in yet, uh, we're talking about the Santa Claus Parade. But, guys, welcome to the Muddy York Podcast. I'm Grayson Miller. And I'm Adam Weiser. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Uh, it has just started to get cold here. By the time you're all listening to this, it will have been cold for a while, but uh, we're just getting used to fall right now. But we are now thinking about winter, and we're thinking about the start of winter, which is, of course, the Christmas season. And this Sunday marks the unofficial start of the Christmas season with the 119th edition of the Toronto Santa Claus Parade. My mother watched it when she was a kid. I watched it when I was a kid. And since those days, I've become a regular marcher in the parade. Oh. So if you're planning on watching this year's parade, you may see me clowning around. In anticipation of Sunday's big event, as Grayson said, this week's episode of Muddy York is about the Santa Claus Parade. Now, the first thing to know is that for most of its history, it was the Eaton's Santa Claus Parade. For most people under 30, the only thing they will know about Eaton's is the Eaton Center. But for decades, it was the largest department store in Canada. At one point, it controlled 7% of all retail sales in Canada. My grandmother worked there for more than 30 years, and from 1905 until 1982, the Santa Claus Parade was organized and paid for by Eaton's. The parade officially began in 1905, but it was inspired by a holiday promotion from the year before. On December 2nd, 1904, Santa Claus had walked from Union Station to the Eaton's store at Young and Queen. This one-man show was a hit, so Eaton's decided to expand on the idea. One year later, Santa Claus would arrive at Union Station, where he would be greeted by Timothy Eaton himself. He then boarded a wagon for his trip to Eaton's, tossing small bags of candy, nuts, and trinkets to the children lining the route. In 1906, Santa traveled from the junction in a coach pulled by four white horses and accompanied by trumpeters to announce his arrival. Many of the early parades included an event at Massey Hall, where kids could watch a holiday show before meeting Santa at the finale. From 1910 to 1912, Santa would start his journey from Newmarket in York Region. He would stop at York Mills for the night, then make his way through Toronto on the following day. In 1913, a full team of reindeer was imported from Labrador to pull Santa through the streets. The reindeer had a dedicated veterinarian to look after them, and a special supply of moss that was imported from Iceland. After their job was complete, they retired to the rural estate of an Eaton's executive. Ooh, imported moss. Only the best for reindeers mm -hmm. in that parade. <laughs> 
Costume characters and themed floats became a part of the parade in 1910, usually based on the fairy tales like Cinderella, Bo Peep, or Jack and the Beanstalk. Mother Goose became the most popular float and would frequently lead off the parade. During this time, it became standard for the parade to end in front of the Eaton store where Santa would climb a ladder to the Toyland display on the second or third floor. By the 1920s, the Santa Claus Parade had begun to resemble the event that we all know today with clowns, bands, marchers, and floats. Parades in Toronto were hardly unusual. In fact, they were downright common. But the Santa Claus Parade was a little different. Other parades had a clear political or social message. The Glorious Twelfth promoted Protestant ascendancy. St. Patrick's Day promoted Irish Catholic pride. Labor Day promoted workers' rights, etc. Eaton's parade was scrupulously apolitical. It was also thoroughly secular, much to the chagrin of clerics who wanted the parade to include religious themes like a nativity scene. The tone of those other parades could also be somewhat serious or even angry depending on the politics of the day. The Santa Claus parade was consciously frivolous. It wasn't about serious social questions. It was about fantasy and make-believe. Kids were the primary audience rather than adults. One more difference was that other parades were organized by volunteers with little to no budget. The Santa Claus Parade had a professional staff paid by one of the richest companies in Canada. Every float, costume, and prop was created by the merchandise display department who took great care to ensure that everything was coordinated to produce the right aesthetic effect. After the Toronto Parade was over, all of the floats would be shipped to Quebec for the Montreal Santa Claus Parade that was held a week later. Eaton's wasn't the first company to organize a Santa Claus-themed parade. The Chipper and Block department store of Peoria, Illinois, had been staging an annual parade since 1887, but Eaton's became the model to emulate. We know that because lots of cities did. During the 20s, Hudson's of Detroit, Gimbel's of Philadelphia, and Macy's of New York would all begin staging parades that were consciously inspired by Eaton's. When Macy's began staging their famous Thanksgiving Day Parade, they sent staff to Toronto to learn from Eaton's. At one point, they wanted to reuse the floats from the Toronto Parade. On the other hand, Eaton's staff were disdainful of the New York Parade. Macy's used paid employees as marchers instead of enthusiastic volunteers. The Globe even reported that, Parade planners are determined their Christmas welcome to Santa will never become the chorus girl commercial television slanted circus which some American cities present. This comment perfectly reflected the outlook of Jack Brocky, the Eaton special events manager who oversaw the parade for 30 years. Brocky was the epitome of old school. He wasn't interested in the latest trend from pop culture. He did traditional characters in traditional colors. He would have been delighted by the woman who told the New York Times that she noticed when American networks used Toronto footage in their Thanksgiving parade coverage because, quote, it always featured storybook characters, including British ones that I'd never heard of except on the morning of the parade. When 60s stuff like UFOs and pink and electric blue came along, Rocky declared, when spaceships come in, I get out. To give you an example, the theme of the 1937 parade was Toyland on Parade, and it began with the 48th Highlanders. It had a Storyland section featuring Red Riding Hood, 
along with Goldilocks and the Three Bears, followed by The Realm of Books, featuring St. George and the Dragon and the Pied Piper of Hamelin. Rhymeland included Mother Goose, Bo Peep, Little Boy Blue, Jack and Jill, and the Queen of Hearts. Finally, Dreamland showcased the man in the moon, pirates sailing their ship, Indians rowing canoes, elves making toys, and penguins with an igloo before Santa arrived. This was an old-fashioned parade for an old-fashioned Toronto. Eaton's kept the Toronto parade running annually during the Depression. During the war, floats had to be pulled by horses due to gasoline restrictions, and material shortages meant that many of the costumes were made out of paper. After the war, Eaton's wanted its own character to match the newly created Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So in 1948, they published a children's book called Pumpkinhead, the Sad Little Bear. It was about a teddy bear who was ostracized because of his bright tuft of hair. More than anything, he wanted to be in the Santa Claus parade and he succeeded with Santa's help. Pumpkinhead was a huge success. Books, dolls, and other products could be found all over Canada during the 50s. If you still have a Pumpkinhead doll from that period, you should hold on to it because they've become collectibles. I should also add that when I first mentioned this episode to my mother, Pumpkinhead is what she mentioned and Pumpkinhead is what she demanded be included. <laughs> the biggest development during the 50s was that the parade began to be shown on TV. The parade had been broadcast on radio during the 30s, but a parade obviously is a visual spectacle, and there was only so much that the announcers could do to describe it. The first parade broadcast was in 1952, less than three months after CBC became the first television channel in Toronto. Only a quarter of Canadians were in range of the television broadcast that year, but that number had grown to 90% by 1960. This was great for Eaton's because it dramatically increased the potential audience for their event, but it also raised expectations. Lots of people wrote to complain that they couldn't see the parade because Eaton's hadn't sponsored the broadcast on their local station. Some of them promised to boycott the store if their kids couldn't see the parade. <laughs> wow. TV also changed the way that the parade was designed. Staff had to consider how the floats would look on TV and not just from the sidewalk. They also had to ensure that bands were playing as they passed in front of the cameras. Some of the early broadcasts would show bands silently marching by in between songs. The camera stands are usually placed in front of the ROM, and if you're going in person, you should avoid sitting before or after this location on the parade route because the bands will all be on break in preparation for the cameras or after playing on TV. The final problem, at least as far as Eaton's was concerned, was that the announcers didn't spend enough time talking about the store. The organizers wanted them to follow a script that they frequently mentioned Eaton's, but the announcers preferred to do their own commentary. Over time, the store became less subtle about its promotions. Two of the official parade themes during the 70s were, At Eaton's, Christmas Comes Alive, and Let Eaton Share a Special Moment with You. CBC became uncomfortable with the overt commercialism that Eaton's was demanding, so the store moved the parade to CTV. This led to complaints that TV viewers were missing the parade because there were so many ads. Eaton's records show that even the wife of one executive made some <laughs> rather pungent remarks. One of the big questions of the parade during the period was timing. By now, the Santa Claus parade had become the unofficial start of the holiday season. 
1955, the Financial Post wrote, There's a fairly definite unwritten protocol to observe. Stores in most areas agree not to have their Santas appear before the main arrival protocol. It's too bad we've abandoned that tradition. I know. Now it's like now. There's Christmas decorations up right now, and it's not even. It's like middle of October. (laughs) Stores wanted the parade as early as possible to maximize holiday shopping. At one point, Eaton's tried moving the parade to the first week of November, but a quirk of the calendar meant that it was held the day after Halloween, which everyone agreed was too early. Thank you. They seem to have sense back then. Not anymore. In 1975, parade organizers offered a concession by moving the parade from Saturday to Sunday. Stores sold less on parade days because of the disruption, but Sunday shopping was still banned in Toronto. So holding the parade on a Sunday meant they wouldn't lose sales because people were at the parade. Since then, the parade has settled into its current slot on the third Sunday of November. On August 12, 1982, Eaton's announced that it could no longer stage the Santa Claus parade. The reason was simple. Money. Eaton's was losing money and decided that sponsoring a major parade was just too expensive. Some of Eaton's problems were caused by larger changes in the economy, combined with the recession that was hurting everyone. But many of their problems were caused by the fail-son Eaton brothers, who were in the process of running the company into the ground. There's an interesting debate to be had about the wisdom of Eaton's decision. On one hand, staging the Santa Claus parade was a major expense, and the company was in financial trouble. On the other hand, For generations of Canadian children, Santa Claus lived at Eaton's. How much money was that association worth? The public was shocked by this announcement. It really hit the city like a thunderbolt, and letters of protest poured in. One letter to Santa from a girl named Amber Zweggers became symbolic of the effort to save the parade. Metro chairman Paul Godfrey launched a Save Our Parade campaign, including the president of McDonald's Canada and the chair of the Metro Zoo. Within a week, 20 companies had pledged $75,000 over three years to sponsor floats in the parade. Godfrey also convinced Eaton's to donate the existing parade materials. With these resources, a nonprofit corporation was set up to organize the event. And this is the group that stages the parade to this day. In 1983, the parade moved to new headquarters. However, as parade day approached, the organizers realized that the floats were too wide to make it through the doors of the warehouse where they had been built. They would eventually have to knock out some of the cement blocks in order to get the floats out. This was also the year that the tradition of celebrity clowns began. Over 200 executives pay $1,000 each to be one of the clowns who lead off the parade. They walk or rollerblade along the parade route, shaking hands with spectators and handing out gifts. If you're looking to network, this is a great opportunity because this group includes some important business figures. Like many things, the 2020 and 2021 Santa Claus parades were a victim of COVID. A virtual version of the parade was recorded at Canada's Wonderland and broadcast on TV. The broadcast would also include celebrity appearances horrifying the ghost of Jack Brocky. The organizers were trying their best, but nothing can match the experience of watching a parade from the sidewalk. It's truly the best. Luckily, 
the regular parade returned last year, and the 2023 edition is just five days away. It's useful to remember that except for a small permanent staff, almost everyone associated with the parade is a volunteer. That doesn't just mean marchers like me. It also includes art students who get experience working on the costumes and floats during the year. It includes the cops who line the route to make sure that everyone is safe. The EMS drivers who wake up early on a dark November morning to drive the floats from Santa's workshop to the starting point near Christie Pitts. And the people who distribute and then collect thousands of costumes and props. Why do they all do it? I think this quote from the Globe and Mail can help to answer that question. The writer acknowledged that the parade could be trying, quote, standing there at the chilly curb with one youngster on your shoulders and maybe one in each arm. But he advised going anyway because you'll be able to witness that increasingly rare and precious thing called wonder. The beautiful part of it is that it's contagious. No matter how old you may be, it is still possible, if you have even a shred of imagination, to share in the wonder that is written on the face of a child as those magic Christmas floats go by. How pleasant it is to peek once more, even for a moment, through the eyes of a child. Hmm. It's only five days away. I invite everyone to come. Yeah, what a great way to end the podcast. Guys, I mean, thank you, as always, for sticking with us with the journey. I hope you go and see the Santa Claus Parade. If you've got a family, it's truly a treat. And if you don't, it's truly a treat anyways. Just go and enjoy the holiday spirit. Um, it's really something that, although it is the Santa Claus Parade, a lot of it is about community. So even if you're someone that doesn't celebrate Christmas, it's still kind of nice to just go out there and see what the city is doing on such an important day. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us. As always, this is the Muddy York Podcast. I'm Grayson Miller. And I'm Adam Weiser. Can you uh, let the people know where they can get in touch with us? You can do it at muddy underscore York at outlook.com. You can go to our Twitter feed, which is Toronto underscore history, or you can go to facebook.com slash muddy York history, all one word. And That's we'll great. see you next time. We will see you next week. And please remember, write a review, give us five stars, tell a friend. This is the only way that we can keep doing this is if it keeps growing. So we give a shout out to the people that have already started listening and starting to build. So thank you for that. Tell your friend and in the spirit of the holiday season, yeah, let's do it. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep bringing you guys great episodes. Thank you.